to the Fit for the Future podcast, which helps you navigate this fast-changing world by bringing you ideas, information, interviews, and insights for being fit for the future. Here's your host, Gihan Pereira. Welcome to the podcast. I've been traveling a lot for work recently, from Port Douglas recently, speaking to financial advisors, and I went to Bangkok for a travel conference, which is the, the second time I've been there in three months, and then to Adelaide for an insurance conference. So it's nice to be back in Perth and have a few speaking engagements close to home in the next couple of weeks. The most recent of these was last week, where I was speaking to fellows of the Australian Institute of Management here in Perth, Western Australia, and they represent many of Western Australia's most successful businesses, large and small. And, and I was speaking about how to be fit for the future, and especially for businesses here in Western Australia. See, for a long time, WA, or Western Australia, has been seen as a remote outpost of Australia, and Perth, which is our capital city, as a bit like a country town. And, and, and I reckon in the past, there might have been some truth through that, but it's no longer the case. And I know I'm biased because it's my hometown, but in many ways, I think we've been ahead of the game. Because we've been so far away, and I, I heard that Perth is the world's most remote city, we've had to find ways to work well and work effectively. Uh, I've been in business for 20 years now and most of my clients aren't in Perth and haven't been in Perth. So I've had to learn how to create, build and nurture long distance business relationships and I'm not alone. Many people in Perth and WA have had to do the same. And now with more and more virtual collaboration everywhere, those skills are coming to the fore. They're vital for any business, not just one based in Perth or Western Australia. And that's why this episode of the podcast is about managing external experts. So these are the contractors, consultants and freelancers who are part of your team. So they aren't employees, they may or may not be in your office, and they take responsibility for managing their own careers, but they're vital cogs in your team. So as leaders and managers, we need to know how to get the best out them. So in this episode, I'm speaking with uh, Dr. Chris Putney about how to manage external experts, and we cover a range of issues, including things like payment structures and how they affect engagement among your team members, and learning and development opportunities for these external experts who don't necessarily go to traditional training courses, uh, how to bring them on board and get them up to speed fast, uh, how to learn from their unique skills and experiences, and, and getting the right cultural fit, and especially avoiding the us versus them feeling that can sometimes arise between your full-time employees and your external experts. So let's join the conversation now. So today we're going to be talking about working with external workers um, and that's important because uh, external workers, let's define them first, that's uh, people who are freelancers or contractors, consultants, even gigsters. And it's important because they're making up an increasing proportion of the workforce. A recent survey of US workers showed that 40% of uh, the workforce consider themselves to be external workers. And they're also increasingly being engaged to work for organizations. So a survey of leaders showed that half of them plan to engage with external workers. And the reasons for that are that there are some advantages to engaging with external workers. Firstly, it's agile, so you can respond more quickly to changing requirements if you engage with an external worker who already has the necessary skills and expertise that you need, rather than the time and effort that might be needed to train one of your full-time employees. And it can also be cheaper because uh, when you engage an external expert, you just take them on for the period that they're needed rather than having to retain a full-time employee with, uh, with matching skills, but whose skills you might not always be, uh, be making use of. 
and there can be lower administrative overheads. So when it comes to engaging with an external, you typically draft a contract, both parties sign, and away you go. But with full-time employees, there's a lot more administration. There's, there's HR and there's office resourcing and all of those sorts of things. So there's less overhead with, um, with your external workers. It's a little bit of an interesting contrast with out-of-office workers, isn't it, Chris? Because your out-of-office workers want the flexibility of being typically full-time, but they work away from the office, whereas here we're talking about people who aren't full-time and they may or may not be working in an office with you. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So what we're talking about is is that it is different, as you say, Gihan, and so when it comes to managing uh, your external workers, it is going to be different from how you deal with uh, your full-time in-office staff. And that's what we're going to talk about today, those differences and how to deal with them. And it's important if you are a manager or a team leader because it's likely that you're going to be engaging with external workers. And it's important for you if you're an out-of-office worker yourself because it's likely that that's external work is the basis on which you're going to be engaged. So it's important for you to know what your clients need to do to get the best out of you. And broadly speaking, we've got uh, two kinds of external worker. You've got people who are freelancers and they tend to do small pieces of work. Often they do that virtually or remotely. Compare that with contractors who tend to do uh, longer, larger pieces of work and that's often done on site. And it's easy to neglect uh, freelancers when we talk about external workers because they're only engaged for a short short term and they're working remotely, but it's important that you don't, and we're not going to do that in this podcast today. So broadly, invite your freelancers to participate. They've got a range of skills and experience beyond just the work that you're engaging them in, so that's really valuable, so invite them to participate more in your team and integrate your contractors. They're going to be part of your team, and while they're there, they're expected to fit in like everybody else. So integrate them as quickly and as effectively as possible. Yeah, look, and we're going to get into some of the details of how to work with external workers and external experts. But look, I think the broadest thing to think about is just change your mindset around them. So think of them as as if they were full-time employees or as if they were full, full-time members of your team and go beyond the stereotypes. Because like typically, for example, when you think about pay, uh, you tend to pay your external experts differently. So contractors are typically paid by the hour. Uh, freelancers are typically paid by the project. But both of those things kind of limit their, the, the way you think about them and the way they think about their work. So paying contractors by the hour means that they focus on the effort that they put in, not necessarily the results. Paying freelancers by the project means that they focus only on their project, whereas you might think about other things. So you may give them, say, retainers where they get paid like your full-time employees. Uh, they get paid like a, like a wage or a salary, but only for a fixed period of time. And that just gives them uh, more flexibility to think about how they're going to contribute to the team. So, so just in general, and that's just one example, you can also think of things like um, development, training and development generally external experts are left to figure out their own training and development needs but um, your full-time employees so you you have some responsibility for it so again if you start thinking of them the same way as you think of everybody else in your team you'll just get a lot more out of them all right so let's get into some detail Gihan, and we'll start at the beginning with onboarding 
So you might have some standard materials such as your employee handbook and some online training and some documented systems and processes. And sure, you can give your external workers access to that, but that's not going to be enough. There's also going to be some informal knowledge that your team has that you want to share. So you might have some team documents like case studies that you can share with them, some templates that you work with, or a team wiki. So give your uh, when you're onboarding, give your external workers access to that. As well as documented um, documented content, you probably also have some undocumented and unwritten ground rules that you would like to introduce your external workers to. So one way you can deal with that is to get one of your team members to buddy up with the uh, new external worker and show them the ropes. That'll speed up the process and, and give them deeper insight into the way that you work. And that's really what it's all about, this onboarding process or early in the project. It's about getting your external workers aware of the organization's culture, the strategies that are in play, and your ways of working. And again, that's particularly important for your freelancers. It gives them a greater sense of ownership with regard to the work that they're doing and shows how that their work fits into the bigger picture, so where it fits into your organization's strategies and goals. Yes, and I found that very much for myself, Chris, working with a lot of freelancers, because I do, I, quite, I outsource quite a bit of work to freelancers, and as I'm doing it, I'm always thinking, I hope this is going to be the sort of person who can be a long-term um, member of my team, so somebody I can keep outsourcing work to, and I'm Initially, I used to make the mistake of going, okay, here's a one, one-off job, let's see how well you do, and if you do well, then we might take you for uh, my uh, think of you as part of my team long term and now I'm thinking mm-hmm. more um, okay let's start off with the mindset that this could be the person that I want to outsource all my writing to or all my transcribing to and therefore let me start off by assuming that they're going to be that person and then give them that sort of um, um, more feeling of ownership of being part of my business rather than just doing a simple task yeah um, and that that leads on to the, what we're talking about with inclusion. So as much as possible, engage with them exactly the same way that you would engage with everybody else in your team. Don't treat them like second-class citizens on your team. So avoid things like meetings where you only have your full-time employees there. And I've, I've had that situation even when I was on secondment in the UK where I was really part of the same company. But there were times when um, contractors, because I was considered a contractor, uh, weren't invited to certain meetings and, and other employees were. And, you know, sometimes there are reasons for that, but often there aren't, um, in, in particular with freelancers, because most freelancers don't expect to be treated like full team members. So they probably won't take the initiative to ask to be involved in a team meeting or to be asked to copy on certain things. So you have to be proactive about including them. And uh, many of them would jump at the chance if you do give them, if you do give them the chance. So, so don't wait for them to offer, but, but be proactive and give them the chance. Now, I actually found this uh, recently working with a writer in South Africa who I'm using for one of my uh, one of the products that I offer where I uh, help authors write books or help experts become authors. And I was working with Christine and she's a good writer and uh, we've worked on a couple of projects together and the first one went really well, the second one not so well. And so we just arranged a Skype call to figure out what was, um, you know, f- to get some feedback to figure out what we could do next time to make it better. And uh, and she really appreciated feeling like part of the team rather than just a, a freelancer who um, did an 80% job uh, at instead of a 100% job, which he did the, pre- the previous time. 
Okay. Yeah, that's that's interesting, Gihan. So you mentioned there how Christine really valued uh, the feedback that you that you gave her with regard to the the second book, and that's a, an important part of how you deal with uh, and work with your external workers. In terms of, um, it's important not to just say, "Oh, this job uh, was delivered on time and on budget, and it was it was of, of good quality." You've got to go beyond just those three standard measures and provide more detailed f- feedback on the performance uh, of the work that you're externals have done and that's that's really important because that helps them uh, in, as you mentioned with Christine they're really going to appreciate uh, getting uh, feedback that's more more deeper than just the cost and timelines involved they, they really do value those opportunities to because for them it means that they can enhance their skills they can they can provide better services to you and to other clients that they work with so it's just going to it's going to really help them and it, so it's more than just you know you did this on time and on budget they want to know about the soft skills how well they uh, fit with your organization how well they integrated with your team were they good at presenting when they had to do so all of that additional information is so valuable to your external workers and they're really going to relish the opportunity to improve the way that they work and that's only going to happen if you can give them um, give them deeper feedback than yeah you, you delivered this on time and on budget and it was of high quality. Yeah, and you're right, Chris. So the feedback uh, works in both directions. And as you said, uh, your external experts, your external workers appreciate the feedback because they want to learn. But also, uh, and this particularly applies to that example with Christine, I actually want to learn from her expertise as well. So as much as it was for me to give her feedback on how to make the, uh, how to do her part of the job better, it was also about me uh, wanting her feedback and her years of expertise on how can we make this a smoother process in the future because I want to work with her over and over again. And and I'm pretty sure that she appreciated the fact that I was actually asking for her feedback uh, rather than only just giving feedback in one direction. Um, Because I just think that your external, uh, particularly your external workers, your uh, experts, whether they're contractors or freelancers, they do have a different kind of expertise than anybody else uh, in your team. Uh, I mean, everybody has different expertise, but typically contractors and freelancers, because they work with multiple clients in many different situations, perhaps using lots of different technology in different organizational cultures, they can bring a fresh perspective to your business, to your organization. So, so they might see problems that you don't see. They might see opportunities that you don't see. They might be off, able to offer solutions that you don't see by you. I mean, you and the other people in your team. Um, so as much as possible, learn from your external experts rather than just using them as resources. Um, and the only thing I'd say as a bit of a caution, is just be a little bit careful of that that whole not invented here syndrome from the rest of the team because uh, you might find people get their back up um, when they hear somebody coming in from outside swanning in with all their great ideas um, and their people inside the team who have legitimate reasons why those sort of ideas, you just can't implement them straight away or maybe you can't even implement them at all or sometimes maybe they are good ideas but they just don't like somebody from outside coming in and sharing it. So just be careful of egos, uh, everybody's egos, the, the people who might get their egos bruised because they're inside the team and they know how the organization works and they don't like somebody outside coming in and also be careful of the egos of some of the contractors and freelancers who sometimes push their ideas too strongly uh, just because they think it's a great idea and everybody else should follow along. Yeah, yeah. So all of the things that we've been 
talking about here have perhaps worked against some of the advantages that I talked about at the beginning, so the agility and the lower costs and the reduced admin. Here we're asking you, if you're working with external workers, to, to take extra time and to, to spend uh, expend more effort on integrating and uh, giving feedback to and receiving feedback from your external workers. It's, it's really tempting with external workers just to get them in, get them to hit the ground running, uh, get the job done and get them out of there. But you're going to get so much more out of them if you uh, if you go to the extra links that we've described so far, um, and that extra effort is going to pay dividends, especially if you seek to deter- to develop long-term working relationships with your external suppliers. So all of those that additional effort is going to be amortised over multiple pieces of work that they're going to do with you over a longer period. So. Uh, Th- th- those 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 costs uh, are borne out over many many pieces of work if you're going to have a long-term working relationship with them, and obviously, if an external worker, a freelancer, or a contractor knows that there's the prospect of repeat business with you, then they're going to put in extra effort, and they're not going to mind being asked for, say. Um, can you provide us with some additional feedback? Can you tell us some of the things that you've learned about elsewhere? Some of them might be looking towards the next job if they uh, you know, they want to get out of there as quickly as you want to get rid of them, unless you know it's clear from the outset that you intend to develop a long-term relationship with them. Yeah, and again, I think this uh, this is very much about your mindset as a leader or manager, because if you think about the way you look at your full time employees, uh, you don't necessarily think of them going uh, thinking about repeat business. They're just thinking about, okay, here, this is my job. Uh, this is my job for as long as I want it and as long as I'm able to work in it. Uh, so they don't think repeat business. They just think this is part of my career. And again, if your mindset towards your freelancers and contractors is the same way, so it's not that whole mercenary idea of, okay, if I do a good job here, I'll get repeat business. But it's just like this is one step along my career path and I can be in here for as long as I'm adding value. Then that's a great relationship that you can have with them. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, Gihan. And the the other thing that you can do when you when you're investing in their future is you know ask them what are the sorts of things that they want. So you're talking about a you mentioned a career path there for them, Gihan. Well, that's that's an opportunity for you to approach them and say, look, what sorts of things, what sort of professional development are you interested in, and how can we build that into the work that you're doing for us? So, for instance, they might want to improve their presentation skills. So you can coach them to run webinars as part of uh, as part of their interaction with your team. And it might not be that they have any clear idea of that sort of thing, so you can test their boundaries. You can uh, you know, push them beyond the remit that, uh, that their engagement involves. You can, you can force them, not force them so much, but offer them opportunities and uh, lead them into uh, areas and skills that they might not even anticipate that they had. Yeah, exactly, Chris. And I, th- I think this all comes down to saying that uh, you, you know, don't hold all the best opportunities back from your externals. Don't give them all to your full-time employees who you see as leading them along on their careers. Think of your external um, freelancers and contractors the same way. So as you said, development opportunities, even leadership opportunities, there are even though you may not see that your contractors or your freelancers perhaps moving up into permanent roles in your organization, there are still opportunities you can give them. As you said, like they can run webinars, they can chair meetings, they can present to senior management. Some of the things that you would automatically think of giving uh, as part of the development path for your other team and give them to your freelancers and contractors as well because, A, 
first of all, they might be the best person for the job at the time. And also, you never know what might come up in the future and what they might want to do as a result of you giving them those opportunities. Indeed. Yep. Now, we spoke earlier about uh, feedback to and from your um, your contractors, but that was more about um, them learning from you and you learning from them. But another p- type of feedback is feedback about uh, your interactions and, and relationships. So make sure that there is a forum where your external workers can provide you with some early, honest and open um, feedback on how things are going, it, particularly when you're first engaging them make sure that they can uh, raise issues with you sooner rather than later so that uh, they're not left to become significant problems. So therefore, schedule regular reviews, make sure you have a standing agenda item where problems can be discussed openly and honestly, but also provide a forum where um, that kind of feedback can be offered in confidence. It might not be that a team meeting is uh, the place where some issues can be discussed, particularly if they're interpersonal sorts of um, issues, so also provide a, uh, a feedback channel that where where issues can be discussed in confidence. Yeah, exactly, and that's exactly what you do for your other team members. So we're mm. just saying, um, don't forget your external, like your freelancers and contractors, just because they happen to be externals. Absolutely, Gihan. Okay, so look, I think that a lot of the things that we've talked about, some leaders and managers are doing already. And I think if you're not doing it, just get used to the idea of starting to to focus on some of these things and pay attention to some of these things because more and more uh, teams are going to become fluid. People are going to come in and out of your team as they're required and – what you want to do is have the best people with you, but the best people may not be the, the same team every time. And that said, quite often the best people will stay together because they do tend to gel and work together and have a great skill set, uh, not because they've always been employed by the same organization, but because they are the best people. And so when you're dealing with your external experts, your freelancers and contractors, uh, just look at ways that you can treat them the same way that you treat all your other team members. And in my presentations, Chris, I often talk about something that you would be familiar with as well. As a, as a software developer, we always used to have this, um, this saying, it's not a bug, it's a feature. So the idea is that anytime, um, anytime you look at something in software you, and it looks like there's something wrong, um, you can try and think of a way of actually that was a feature that wasn't, uh, that wasn't a negative, it's a positive. And I think that applies to people as well. So instead of saying, oh, he's half a world away in Ecuador, and that makes things difficult for us to schedule meetings, think of that as a feature that maybe there you get overnight, overnight turnaround because he's in a completely different time zone. Or maybe you want to have somebody who can deal with American clients in their time zone. So that could be a feature. Um, you could say for a contractor, oh, she doesn't know our coding standards. Um, yes, that's true. So you could call that a bug or you could say this could be an opportunity for her to actually review and maybe even enhance our coding standards based on based on her experience from working with many other clients and I think the one that comes up quite a lot is something like and that's not the way we do things around here well okay fair enough but maybe that's a good good trigger for you to change the way that you do things around here. Uh, So very much treat your external experts as, um, first of all, as equal team members, and second, as maybe even better than equal, because they've got experiences and talents and skills that they can bring into your team and your organization. Yeah. And I'll just add to that, Gihan, is is the tendency or avoid that tendency to think of your external workers as a single use resource so that they're only being used once for a single skill set or for a single purpose. Instead, encourage 
thinking of them long and deep. So, as we said, seek to develop long-term working relationships with your contractors and your freelancers and also tap more deeply into their broader experience and expertise and then provide them with opportunities to deepen that even further through professional development opportunities. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and I hope it gave you some ideas about your own team and your own workplace. And I also discussed this topic in my book, The Future of Leadership, in the chapter called Team Up, which is all about finding talent from outside the traditional workplace and actually making more of the talent from within your workplace. So here's a short section from the chapter where I talk about freelancers in particular. And it's titled, Invite Freelancers to Participate. Because freelancers are the people to whom you outsource work. They tend to operate independently of everybody else, and they're usually not in your office, and they tend to only work on small and clearly defined tasks. So you give them a task, agree on a price, expect them to deliver, pay them, and move on. That's the traditional way it's been done. So as a result of that, they're often considered more as suppliers than as real team members. And I reckon that's a pity because freelancers have a wealth of skills, knowledge and experience that they can bring to bear on your team. In fact, because they generally work on many short-term tasks rather than fewer long-term contracts and they work for a number of different people, they might have a more diverse range of experience than many of the other people in your team. So here are some things that you can do to encourage greater participation from your freelancers. First of all, let them show their face. So give them the chance to share their personality, not only their professional profile. And this helps other team members and you as the leader uh, to create a more personal connection with them rather than just treating them as a distant, semi-anonymous supplier. And there are many ways to do this, even if they aren't in the same office. For example, you could show their photograph in online forums. Uh, You could encourage their personal style in informal communications, such as email. And you can use video wherever possible for online meetings so everybody in the team gets to see each other, especially the freelancers. Um, Extend the invitation. See, most freelancers don't expect to be treated like full team members, but many of them would jump at the chance uh, for more involvement if it was offered to them. So don't wait for them to offer because they don't see that as their role. Only a few of them will make the first move. Instead, take the initiative yourself. So think about what else they could do beyond their assigned tasks. For example, if if you've employed them to design a poster for a trade show, then ask for their advice on other promotional material for the trade show. Because of the experience with other clients, they might suggest ideas that you wouldn't get from anywhere else. The next thing is to include them where appropriate. So look beyond their expertise for other opportunities to involve them in the team. And like that example I gave earlier, but also in involving them in the team's project goals. And this gives them a greater sense of ownership in the team effort and also shows them where their own work fits into the bigger picture. So this is really important. It's particularly important for freelancers because they don't expect to be treated this way. So it takes a conscious effort on your part and theirs to really include them as full team members. And also imagine them as telecommuters. So they probably don't work in the same office as you do, but you might have these people who are full-time employees who are working from home or telecommuters. And it's really important that you can communicate more closely with them. It's just as important that you can communicate with your freelancers. So think about things that you could do for your freelancers in the same way that you do for your employees who work from home, like agree on their working hours or at least some level of availability or response time. Um, use 
better online collaboration tools to increase their ability to work together with other team members and build trust by making and keeping promises. Now, not all of those things will be relevant to everybody and some freelancers won't even want this level of commitment. And some of your internal activities aren't appropriate to share with your freelancers because really they are still outsiders from the organization to some extent. But at least think about them and then you can decide whether you can use them in or not. You can also pay them differently. See, most freelance work is either paid at an hourly rate or on a fixed price quotation. And uh, historically, this, this has been a convenient and a fair way to pay an external supplier because an hourly rate means that you're paying for their effort and a fixed price means you're paying for what they deliver. That sounds good, but these aren't necessarily the best options for encouraging greater participation in your team because your team members' contributions can't always be measured by the time they put in or what they deliver. And for some of your freelancers, think about whether you can offer them something different. For example, you could negotiate to pay them a monthly retainer. And that means that you can involve them more without constantly keeping an eye on your budget, which would happen with an hourly rate, and they can participate without feeling resentful about working for nothing, which would happen if they were only getting a fixed price. So in effect, this is already what you do with your other team members. The salaried team members, their salary works like a retainer and their actual work during the month changes depending on your needs. And and even your full-time contractors who generally quote an hourly rate only use this hourly rate when they're negotiating their initial contract and then they act like regular employees. So if you want everyone in the team to feel equal, then consider whether you can bring your freelancers on board in the same way. Okay, so that's a short extract from my book, The Future of Leadership. If you want to get the full book, you can get it at my website, gehanperera.com. Now, if you want to know what's on the horizon for the future of work and the future in general, then download my new app. It's called Fit for the Future, and it's available for both iPhones and Android phones. And I created this app because many people come up to me after my keynote presentations, and they ask me how I do my own research, what blogs and books that I read, what podcasts I listen to, what videos I watch, because they want some recommendations so they can go back and become fit for the future themselves by keeping on top of what's coming up ahead. So I created this app. So I update it regularly with news and articles and videos and book recommendations, podcast recommendations recommendations and other resources to help you become fit for the future. It's free and is ad-free, so head over to the iTunes Store or the Google Play Store and download it now. It's called Fit for the Future. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and found something valuable for your personal and your professional life that will help you become fit for the future. And if you did get some value from it, I'd really appreciate it if you could do me a favor and give me a review and a rating on iTunes because that helps promote it to other people as well. And if you want me to share ideas like this at your next conference, then check out my speaking at gihanspeaks.com, G-I-H-A-N. S-P-E-A-K-S dot com. And if you want to engage with me in other ways, uh, go to gihanperera.com, G-I-H-A-N-P-E-R-E-R-A dot com. And there you can find my blog, my newsletter, podcast, videos, and my webinar series. They're all free, and they're all designed to help you become fit for the future. This is Gihan Pereira. Bye for now. For show notes, past episodes, and more, visit DehanPereira.com. And remember, great minds don't think alike.